0: Hey, everybody! Have a good Christmas. Yeah, half of you. All right. Well, hey, we had a good Christmas as well. And as I mentioned to you last week, what we wanted to do today was give you a little bit something different than what you would normally get. And uh, last couple years, I've been going. Actually, it's been probably six or seven years now. I've been going to a thing each year called the Global Leadership Summit, and basically, it pulls together pastors and church leaders, but also business leaders. From all around the world, it originates out of Chicago, Illinois, at Willow Creek Community Church, and they beam it live via satellite all over the world to literally tens and tens of thousands of people. And for the past two years, they've had this guy that they just have it sort of during the breaks called Michael Jr. He's a comedian. He is so, so funny. And uh, a couple months ago, I was online. One of my favorite churches uh, that I get a lot of inspiration from is out in Oklahoma City, and he was speaking live there, and I was able to get hold of the video of him speaking there at Life Church. and I wanted to be able to share that with you today as a Christmas gift to you guys, the gift of laughter, but you're also going to get a lot out of Michael Jr.'s story and how God uses him and comedy to spread the the good news of uh, Jesus and just to help to change lives, so hope you enjoy this. God bless.
1: I've got an amazing guest speaker, a very good friend of mine, who is a comedian, but this guy can bring a spiritual message that will impact your heart. You're gonna laugh, you're gonna love it. Michael Jr. is truly a great husband. He's the father of five kids, I have six kids. He loves his wife almost as much as I love Amy. Five kids, good. He has done comedy all over the world. He's been on Comedy Central, he's been on Oprah, he's been on The Late Late Show, he's been on Jimmy Kimmel, Uh, he's been on The Tonight Show but he's never been more excited to be anywhere than he is today. Would you join me in welcoming a great man of God and a great comedian, you're gonna be blessed. We're honored to have Michael Jr.
2: All right, that was cool. Thanks man, we're gonna have a blast, it's so cool. we're going to laugh. So, listen, I'm going to do some joke. We're going to laugh. It's going to be cool. Some people think you're not supposed to laugh at church. What good father doesn't want to hear his children's laughter in his house? So, we're going to laugh. It's going to be cool. And then maybe the Pharisees will go home. I don't know what <laughs> you got to do. So, I want to tell you about uh, me and Pastor Craig. Uh, we went out to eat. Uh, and you guys see him as a, like, you don't get to see him on a, on a personal level when he's He's still a pastor no matter where he goes. We're we're out to eat, and um, and this the waitress is clearly a little distraught. I didn't notice it at first. I'm like, whatever, I'm hungry. Um <laughs> she's a little distraught, and he noticed it, he points it out to me, and then he says something to her that just blesses her in a way I can't explain. So the waitress walks over and he looks at her, and um, wait, you know, there's two scriptures that I need to get out the way first. Let me do this. Um <laughs> There's two scriptures. There's, there's Jeremiah uh, 29, 11, and then there's also um, another one that's on the screen right there. <laughs> yeah. So those two scriptures, which is <laughs> Romans uh, 12, 2, both of those scriptures are uh, extremely important. So after you see what I'm going to say today, go home and read them on your own time, and then it's going to pop even more. It's going to be great. <laughs> so let me tell you about me. My experience in church when I was a kid was extremely uh different from this like this is mad cool but when i was a kid laughing at church was illegal i remember one time laughing at church one time this lady was jumping around and her wig fell off <laughs> that stuff was hysterical i laugh. my grandmother would pinch and twist i can understand a pinch you gonna twist that's the devil and this church was miserable i remember one time going to church and it's like a it's a is literally like a dead body in the front. And nobody explains to a seven-year Michael Jr., this is a funeral, it's not church. I'm thinking, yo, that's how they roll. <laughs> like every three weeks or so, they bring a dead body in <laughs> as an illustration or something. <laughs> and the dude on stage would yell at us like, we did it. <laughs> I remember asking my grandma, I was like, grandma, what happened to the man in the box? What happened to the man in the box? Her whole explanation was, he in a better place. I'm like, what kind of box did he live in before? (laughs) And I'm seven years old, so I have no idea what's going on. And this dude is on stage, and every time we go to church, it seems like he was mad at us. And I figured out why he was mad. It was because he had some phlegm caught in his throat. Because at the end of every sentence, he would try to get it out. You would be like, the Lord said, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Act like you're, <laughs> This is a black church, in case y'all wondering. Some of y'all don't really know what. But... Church was miserable. It was it was like the worst. It lasts like six hours. Then we'd go in the basement, to eat a sandwich, and come back up. I'm like, what was that, halftime or something? Before I go any further, there's this thing I've been doing lately I want to do with you guys. I would like to explain to you guys how comedy works. A lot of comedians, some comedians aren't even aware of this. Some comedians would never share this with you, but I thought I'd share with you how comedy works. Let me explain. First, there's a setup, and then there's a punchline. Let me break it down a little further. The setup is when a comedian will use his talents and resources to seize any opportunity to ensure that his audience is moving in the same direction. The punchline occurs when he changes that direction in a way you weren't expecting. When you catch on to this change, you have received the punchline. The results are revelation, fulfillment, and joy expressed through laughter. I just thought I'd share that with you so you can enjoy these jokes on another level. (laughs) So, seven years old, I hope you're tracking with me, 14 years old, uh, we don't have a lot of money. Like, we, we don't got no money growing up. Like, we ain't had no, I was actually being sponsored by a family from Haiti. Yeah, that's a funny joke, man. Some some Christians don't know what to do with that joke. You can't laugh and shake your head. (laughs) Like, we had no money. We don't got no money. You get creative. I remember I wanted an action figure. I was 10 years old. I just wanted an action figure around 14, 10 years old, whatever. I'm making this up right now. My dad hands me a box. I opened it up. It was empty. He said, It's Invisible Man. I played with that thing for three weeks, man. (laughs) Till my brother hid it from me, man. (laughs) Me and a friend made a pat right around 14 years old too that we wouldn't curse anymore. I don't know anything about God. My grandmother literally, instead of forcing me to go to church, she would ask me if I wanted to go. So I was like, let me think about this. No, church was miserable. Why would I go to church? So me and her friend made a, a pat outside of that that we wouldn't curse anymore. He don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know anything about Jesus, but this was the deal. If he heard me curse, he could hit me in the chest as hard as he wanted to, and vice versa. Dude could hit hard, I stopped cursing immediately. <laughs> we still did regular stuff. We played games. One of my friends actually had money. He, they afforded stuff that, that we, could, we just couldn't get, like uh, one of my friends had allergies. <laughs> I wanted allergies, too. I didn't even know what they were, man. This is how I found out what allergies were. I went over to his house, his dad made dinner, and he, and he looked at the food and he went like this. He said, Dad, I'm not gonna eat that. That's what he said to his dad. And my natural response was to duck. If <laughs> you say something like that to my dad, something gonna happen. But instead his dad goes like this, oh, that's right, I forgot, you have allergies. I was like, what are these allergies? <laughs> Where can I get some? A few days days later, I get home, I get to the green beans on my plate. I'm like, I'm gonna try this. I was like, Dad, I'm not gonna eat this. Let me just say, there was a bad reaction. (laughs) There was some swelling and some watery eyes, too, man. Turns out I have allergies after all. (laughs) I also started noticing around that age, I was having a hard time reading. Now, I noticed it before that, but right around 14 years old, I'm Also noticing girls, and I don't want the girls to know I'm struggling with my reading. So if I saw a word, let me say, by the way, as an adult, I read just fine. Like the signs over the door that say, excite, I can read that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a kid, I would struggle with my reading. I couldn't sound the word out phonetically. It It just didn't work. So I would have to look at the word differently. I would look at the font size, the color of the word, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind it, how people are responding to it. I came up with all these ways to look at a word to determine what it was. By the time I got to high school, I was so fast at this, people didn't know I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out. Now as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. In fact, it's the primary place where I pull my comedy from. So that very thing that looked like it was a handicap when I was a kid, God didn't cause it, but he was using it in preparation for what he asked me to do. It wasn't a handicap. It's almost as if I was practicing I just didn't know I was practicing. Let me say this one more time so you can really understand what I'm saying. That thing from your past, you never met your dad before, you were divorced. Whatever that is, God didn't cause it, but he will use it in preparation for what he has for you to do. Somebody may need to hear your story. You've been practicing. You just didn't know you were practicing. So now, um, here's what's cool. Here's what's cool about practicing—like looking at things differently. Stuff will happen. I had a little kid stand in the autograph line for like 30 minutes. This is a cool little white kid. I was like, "Hey, what's up? What's your name?" He said, "I'm Tanner." I'm like, "Uh, no, you're not." <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tanner. Or people will ask me questions, like weird little questions, like, and I just look at words. It's fun looking at the words or imagine them. They'll say, "Michael Jr., where are you from originally?" I'm like, originally, huh? Well, uh, I was conceived in Michigan. Uh, before that, I was with my dad. Uh, and, uh, and then there was a swim competition, right? And, uh, and I won, which is crazy. <laughs> I don't even know black people like to swim, man. It's crazy. I don't, I don't think we do, actually. 26 years old, I moved to New York City. I hope you're tracking with me. We're going someplace. <laughs> the reason I moved to New York City is because I'm from Michigan. And in New York, if you're not funny, the way they let you know is they'll say something like, you're not funny. <laughs> so in New York City, there's, there's this uh, club called The Comic Strip Live that is the best club in New York City. It's so hard to get in this club. They have an open mic on Tuesday nights that starts at 7.30 p.m. Comedians actually start lining up to do three minutes in front of the manager at 6 o'clock in the morning. And, and if for some reason the manager likes them, next, the next month they don't have to wait in line. So it's finally my turn to perform at the comic strip live. And right before I get on stage, this comedian named George Wallace walks in. Now if you don't know who George Wallace is, one of my favorite jokes he does. He says he was in China, he bought a pair of shoes, he looked at the bottom of them and he said, made right around the corner. <laughs> now I love George Wallace, but here's the problem. Whenever someone like that walks in, whoever's next gets bumped. I'm next, and I know I'm about to get bumped. But no, this is where God shows up for the first time in my life. Well, this is where I noticed him. (laughs) The manager's walking over to me. He says, listen, Michael, George Wallace is here. Uh, Do you want to go before him or after him? I was like, "Uh, let me think this over. Before him, please. (laughs) So i go on before George Wallace, and I got New Yorkers laughing. Not only are New Yorkers laughing... But he's laughing as well, after he comes into the room. And then after the show, there's a bunch of comedians, they're all around him, ask him questions. He leaves them, and he comes over to me. And he says, you're really funny. I was like, wow, snap, thanks, man. He said, let me ask you a question. He's like, why don't you curse? I was like, um, I don't know, where'd my grandmother walk in? <laughs> my grandmother will not coming to New York? But what else was I gonna say? My friend might hit me in the chest, I'm a grown man. The truth is, I didn't have any reason not to curse, except for the fact that I made a deal with a friend a long time ago. I had no idea. So, so I decide, you know, he says to me, you're funny and you're really, really clean. I'd love for you to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights. I don't even know what his best friend is. It don't matter. I could do another show. I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm like, yeah, we get to the show. It's me, George Wallace, Jerry Seinfeld. So we do two shows, I get two standing ovations. I rip, I'm the man, I'm like, yeah. After the show, the club manager, it's a different club, he walks up to me and he says, uh, hey listen, uh, Michael, you had a great set tonight. Uh, would you like to go to church with me tomorrow? I was like, church? I just got two standing ovations, man. Why you messing this up right now, man? <laughs> Nobody going to church, man. That stuff is miserable. Nobody like going to church. You better back up. I ain't going to, no, I ain't going to church. 20 minutes later, his fiance asked me the same question. She was fine. I mean, she was beautiful. And she had some kind of accent, too. She was like, Michael Jr., would you like to go to church with us? I was like, I was just looking for a church the other day, man. I was like, I ain't gonna find me a church, man. Shoot. Hmm? So I go to this church for the wrong reasons. I can't even find these people. I'm sitting way in the back. This church is huge. It's like 4,000 people at this church. I'm sitting way in the back. And this dude comes out on stage, right? And he was talking about Jesus. That's it. He was just talking. He wasn't screaming. He wasn't yelling. He didn't have no perm. (laughs) Like, he was just talking about Jesus. Then he did this thing where he said, can I get a hallelujah? That's what he said, can I get a hallelujah? And I know what that means. That means you want me to say what you just said, but I don't know what that means, so I ain't saying it. That's what I'm thinking in my head. And then he says, in case there's anyone in here that doesn't know what hallelujah means. And then I said, this place is creepy. (laughs) He said, it's the highest praise you can give. And then he did this thing where he did an altar call. He did an altar call, and Pastor Craig does this phenomenal. He does does this, this altar call where he said, if you're on Jesus in your life, all you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth and then raise your hand or, or come forward. And I really wanted to do it. I'm telling you like I'm telling you, I really wanted to, but I was like, nah, I got to read the pamphlet first. <laughs> I don't know, man. Because I knew a couple of Christians, and it was kind of creepy. There's some creepy Christians out there. <laughs> if you don't know any creepy Christians, it's you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just... I'm just saying, your, your friends know one. Or should I say your friend knows one? <laughs> so I told myself, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I got to read the pamphlet first. And I was like, I got to, I don't know, because it could be a catch or something. Because there's some Christians, do you ever know a Christian and they, they cool at first, and then when they start talking about God, their voice change? <laughs> like you just talk, hey, you see the game? It was a good game. And i like, can I tell you about the Lord? What is wrong with your voice? <laughs> what, what just happened to the octaves? So I told myself I'd read the whole Bible before I went to the altar. I not even have a Bible. I didn't know it was that big. <laughs> and this lady at the O'Hare Airport, I don't even know this lady out of nowhere. She just hands me her Bible. We never even exchanged words. She just hand me her Bible. So I opened the Bible up and the Bible was made, in, I read the copyrights first. The Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Me too. Read the Bible, I'm going to church. I'm reading the Bible, I'm going to church. And now I'm very, very, in, like I'm digging in. I don't understand, but I'm reading the Bible. At this point in New York, all I'm doing the whole time I'm in New York City is hitting the comedy clubs, reading the Bible, and sleeping. Like that literally is all I'm doing. I'm putting in like 14 hours a day because now I really want to get my life over to Jesus, but I told myself I'd read the Bible first. You don't have to do that. I just wanted to stick to what I said. So I'm digging into it, 14 hours a day. It's like nine pages a day. I was digging in. I was like... <laughs> I get to the part of Matthew where it said Jesus died for me. I did not know that Jesus died for me until I was 27 years old. Literally, I didn't know. I'd been to church, people yelling, screaming. I saw the little crucifix thing. Same thing was on a rapper's neck. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> I didn't know until I read it right there in Matthew that Jesus died for me. I didn't know. Then I turned to Mark and he died again. I'm like, what is going on? Why do they keep killing him? I don't understand what's going on. Get to Revelations, I was like, reading the Bible is like paying bills. You gotta pay attention to the red ink. Like, you better pay attention to something gonna get cut off or something gonna happen. So I finished reading the Bible and I go to church and I run up to the altar, like, during the announcements. I was like, yeah, I know you got a picnic on Saturday, but is Jesus here right now? Cause I'm ready. So I give my life over to God, and now I understand some stuff. Like, I understand. Before, I just thought I was funny, but now I understand I'm funny for a reason. Like, there's purpose behind me having a sense of humor, and God has a purpose for it. Just like he has a a purpose for you. He even has a purpose for the things that you've been through, even though he didn't cause them, but he's using them. You've been practicing. For a lot of you guys, it is game time. Or you end up on the field not knowing what to do and then just practicing some more. So now I'm in that club and I leave New York because it's extremely expensive and I move to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is the number one club in the country. The best, I can't even get inside this club physically except for the fact that my friend George Wallace is in town and he takes me into the comedy and magic club. Now he can't get me on stage, he can only get me inside the club. And at the time, some of you guys may remember, a football player got hit in the eye with a flag, and he was suing a league for $400 million. And uh, now in the green room is George Wallace, Gary Shanley, Jay Leno. And these guys are working on this joke subject for the Tonight Show's monologue on NBC. I'm not saying anything. I'm just happy to be in there eating french fries with these dudes. <laughs> but your gift will make room for you. So I'm sitting there and they're working on the joke. Then it got quiet and they looked at me and I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> this is an opportunity. I was like, all right, let me see if I got this right. He got hit in the eye with a flag. He lost his vision in one eye and he's suing a league for $400 million. Oh, he's not gonna see half of it. <laughs> like for real, here's the thing. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? (laughs) The truth is it wasn't as much pressure as you might think because I've been practicing since I was a child in the form of a kid who had a hard time reading. I've been practicing just like you've been practicing. You probably didn't know you were practicing though. I'm here to let you know you've been practicing and it's game time, but you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. So now I'm in the club. Like I'm in the club and uh, probably four years ago, five years ago, Right before I got on stage, I was headlining there. God gave me a change in mindset about comedy. Normally, when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. That's what I was all about. And then God said to me simply, no, what I want you to do is go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to the ways that you're going to look it up. (laughs) He said, give them an opportunity to laugh. This right here has changed everything about everything that we do as a company. Because I'm not looking to take, I'm looking to give. If you can get a hold of this, it will literally, for real, in every way, change your life. Because if you walk into a room and you're asking the question, what can I give, you're just in a better place. You are more like Jesus under those circumstances. And if you haven't made that decision to ask that question, by default, you were were saying, what can I get? So when you make the choice, it literally changes everything. So now I'm in the I do do my show. We have a great time. I leave the club that night. There's people around. They want autographs, high fives. It's like this whenever I leave this club now, but this in particular night, while I'm talking to the people, I look across the street and I saw a homeless guy. I had never seen a homeless guy outside this club before ever, but that doesn't mean he wasn't there before. That just means before, my mindset was to get laughs from people, so why would I even notice a homeless guy? I noticed him and I was like, what about him? how could I give him an opportunity to laugh? Then I asked God and the God was like, you really want to know? And I was like, uh, nope. <laughs> and I said yes and we went and did this comedy tour. We started going to homeless shelters and prisons so whenever I do a concert somewhere we always look for a prison or a homeless shelter to do comedy at. We go to this one prison I got to tell you what happens. Uh, I'm scared for real. As <laughs> soon as we walk in the word took my belt from me. He's like, you can't have a belt. Somebody might try to hang you. I'm like, can't they just boo me or something? Why I gotta hang me? <laughs> I'm in prison, my pants loose. This is a bad idea, man. I'm just... I'm just... I got seven different ways to look at this, man. <laughs> so I'm scared for real, and I'm walking in this prison, and I know, like I know I need to be funny immediately. Normally, if you ever come see me in concert, I take my time, it's cool, it's interactive. No, I need them to like me immediately, but not too much. <laughs> so I'm walking into prison, and uh, I need a joke, and I'm, I'm doing the math. And first of all, bars, when you walk in, the bars open in front of you. You take a few steps, and they close, and there's some more bars, and you just take a couple... Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> Welcome home. You know, anyway... Uh, So I'm scared, I'm walking in, and I know I need a joke immediately, and I got nothing. Seven different ways to nothing. I had one joke pop up, but I wasn't going to start with it. I was going to be like, you know what? You guys are a captive audience. I just want to say that, you know? Uh, So I'm scared for real, and I'm walking in, and um, I literally have nothing, and and all the prisoners are sitting in here. First of all, there's no stage. Like, there's no glass. We're not doing comedy on the phone. (laughs) These cats are right here expecting funny, and I got nothing. Seven different ways to nothing. And I remember walking in, and all of them got on pink jumpsuits. So what? I ain't saying nothing about them jumpsuits. (laughs) And they're all sitting there, and I figure I got two steps left before I got to bring the funny before instinctively they know that I know that I got nothing and I don't know what's gonna happen because there's no guards in there with me. The guards left me at the last gate and they gave me a little gave me a little black box and they put it on my pants and they said if anything happens, pull the pin. <laughs> don't they know about the pin? It's probably one dude, his job is to hold the pin. So I, so I take my first step. I still got nothing, 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 nothing. I lift this foot up. Still got nothing. I settle this foot, and for real, Life Church, listen. Sitting right up front is a white dude with a white beard named Moses. <laughs> I was like, "Thanks, Lord." When I said these words to Moses, the place exploded in laughter. We had an amazing time. I said, "Moses, this is what I want you to do. When you see the prison ward, I want you to look him in his eye. I want you to look him right in his eye, and I want you to say." Let my people go. (laughs) Like, for real. So here's the thing. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? It wasn't that much pressure because I've been practicing just like you have been practicing. Before I bounce, I'd like to explain to you how life works at least from a comedian's perspective. First, there's a setup, and then there's a punchline. The setup is your talents, your resources, and your opportunities. And most of the time, we use our setup to ensure that our audience or the people around us are moving in a direction that serves us, which means the punchline occurs when you change that direction in a way they weren't expecting. You actually use your setup for other people The results are the same, yet multiplied. Revelation, fulfillment, and joy. But it's not just for the one receiving your punchline. It's also for you who get to deliver the punchline as well. People ask me all the time, Michael, what was your big break? Our next guest is performed on Comedy Central's Premium Blend. He made his first appearance on The Tonight Show from Montreal Comedy Festival. You've seen him on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. That wasn't a big break. The big break was at a club. And right before I got on stage, I had a change in mindset about comedy. Normally when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. And I felt a little shift take place where I felt like I was to go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh. Now I'm not looking to take, I'm looking for an opportunity to give. This changed everything. My name is Michael Jr. I'm going to do some jokes. <laughs> and ultrasounds come in color now, which is ridiculous. I know it's a black baby. <laughs> it better be a black baby. <laughs> I leave the club that night, and there's all these people giving me hugs and high fives, telling me their favorite jokes. Then I look across the street, and I saw a homeless guy. And I thought to myself, what about him? Most comedy, most jokes are set up. My son, a four years old, looks at me out of nowhere. He says, Dad, I want to be a doctor. I was like, yes, yes. And then a punchline. Then he said, or a dinosaur. I understand that me doing comedy and doing all of these TV shows and making all these people laugh is really just a setup. My punchline is to make laughter commonplace in uncommon places. We go to Montrose, Colorado, a place called the Dolphin House. They take care of children who have been abused by their parents. And this grandmother explains to me that her um, grandson is being abused by his mom. He's so afraid of his mom that everywhere he goes he wears a Spider-Man costume. So I get on stage, sitting right up front, Spider-Man. I start doing comedy. People start laughing, slowly but surely. Probably about 25 minutes into it, I hear a voice, and the voice says, my name is Ronan. And this little boy pulls off his mask. And it was one of the most powerful moments in my entire comedy career. If we could just stop asking the question, what could I get for myself? And start asking the question, what can I give from myself? I think people would learn that you don't have to be a comedian to deliver a punchline. So if I ask the question, how many people here know what your setup is? I'm talking to everyone at every location. If I ask the question, how many of you know what your setup is? Chances are you'd be able to tell me. You can tell me if you went to school. You can tell me if you have a job, where you live, you have a car, you have clothes. Your setup is about what you've received. But what if I ask the question, what is your punchline? How many of you actually know what your punchline is? And to live life only knowing the setup and not the punchline is an extremely uncomfortable place to live. Let me give you an example. How many people are still thinking about the story of me and Pastor Craig at the restaurant? So you're still thinking about that story because all you have is the setup. And that's a story you just heard. But what you've decided to do is just push it in the back, continue on about life. We've laughed, you heard some stories, everything's fine, but you still don't have the rest of the story. The punchline is still missing and that's a story you just learned right now. You've been living your story your entire life. And if you only have the setup, and don't know what the punchline is, you need to know your punchline. And the one who knows your punchline happens to also be the owner of the greatest set punchline story ever. Let's think about Jesus for a moment. He was the king. My bad. He was the king of kings. And when you're the king of kings, the mindset of the entire audience is you serve the king of kings. That is the direction everyone goes. But what did he do? He said, No. He changed the direction. He said, Instead of you serving me, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to climb up on this cross and I'm going to die for your sins. The greatest setup punchline story ever. And he also knows your story, he knows your setup. And please catch this when I was a kid, I had a hard time reading. He knows your setbacks, which are just part of your setup, so you can deliver the punchline you're called to deliver. And the further back you've been set, like a slingshot, the further you're going to reach. But you first have to clearly just say to him, please tell me, what is my punchline? Why am I here? I appreciate you. I love you. I'm Michael Chang. At all of our churches, as you take a
1: moment and pray, I just want to meditate on the verses that Michael Jr. brought up to us. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you'll be able to test and approve what the will of God is, His good, His pleasing, His perfect will. For God, you know the plans that you have for us, plans to prosper us, to bless us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. God I pray that the the set up would deliver us and bring about the punch line that you want for every person today as we've been in your presence. At all of our churches I just want to take a moment and as you look back on your life many of you as Michael Jr said you've been through some difficult times. Some of you right now you're going through a hard time and you recognize I've just been practicing. This is this is the set up for me to use my gifts to make a difference in this world. I can so relate because I I too didn't know Jesus and went into the wildlife. And what I recognize now, God used all that stuff in my life to help prepare me to tell the gospel in a way that people would understand and to help bring them to Jesus. At all of our churches, there are those of you, maybe you're going through something right now, or you look back and there's something more challenging or something unexpected in your life. And you would say, God, use that. Use me. Not to try to get from others, but God, use me to give to others to make a difference. If you want God to use a set up to bring about a punchline to use you to make a difference in this world, would you lift up your hands right now, all of our churches? I hope every hand goes up. Father, thank you so much for a church full of people who want to know you intimately and to use the gifts that you have given them to make a difference in this world. And God, I thank you most people wouldn't think of being funny or think of comedy as a way to share your gospel But God, you can use every single gift that you've given us to make a difference. I pray, God, that you would inspire people today to recognize that all throughout our lives, you've been preparing us to make a difference for your glory. Empower your church to serve you and to serve others faithfully, we pray. As you keep praying today, I'm so moved by Michael's story that at the age of 26, as he he simply heard about Jesus— about the unconditional love of God, the reality that every single one of us, we've all sinned, we've messed up, we've, we've fallen massively short of God's standard. But because of God's goodness, he sent Jesus, who was without sin, to die on the cross one time, not for, like Michael thought in the Gospels, but to die for us one time and to be raised again from the dead. Why? So that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus would be forgiven and transformed. At all of our churches, there are those of you, you recognize, I don't have that. I want it. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. Today, by faith, I simply turn toward Jesus, just like Michael Jr. did. Say, God, I give my life to you. I want to surrender completely. Jesus, by faith, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. So I surrender my life to you. That's your prayer at all of our churches. Would you lift your hands high right now and say, yes,
0: Every head About every eye is still closed. Is there anybody here that's saying, yes, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be the leader of my life. Forgive me. Give me a brand new life, a fresh start. Anyone here this morning? Lord, as I uh, look around, I thank you that one of two things. Either everybody here already has a relationship with you, or um, God, maybe they're still kicking the tires and trying to figure out this Christianity thing like Michael Jr. was doing, and Lord, we just pray that if if there is somebody here today that they're just sort of still trying to figure it all out, that like Michael Jr., they would just keep investigating your claims of your love and your grace and your forgiveness, your mercy, and that they would ultimately come to the same conclusion that Michael Jr. did, that I did, that many people in this room did, that yes, Jesus, he is real, and yes, Jesus was God in the flesh, and Jesus rose again from the dead so that all of our sins might be forgiven. God, we thank you for that incredible gift that we've been celebrating here At this Christmas time. And Lord, we just pray that we wouldn't keep that good news, that gift to ourselves, but Lord, that we would take that setup that you've given us and we'd be able to deliver that punchline to many people here in this Harrisburg community and all around the world that God loves you and Jesus died for you so that you may be set free. God, thank you that you use simple people like us to deliver such a powerful message. Thank you. Thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.